Hello folks and welcome to the very first episode of the newest show on the Destination Linux network, Gamesphere, with your host, Chris Ware. That's me. So uh, I'm going to do a little introductory segment here which sort of demonstrates what this show is going to be about uh, and then we'll we'll get into it. Um, so uh, fundamentally this is going to be a show about video games. Now I play video games on Linux distributions which one you may ask well quite a few I bounce around from distribution to distribution I've got Linux Mint on this machine here I've got Debian on this machine right to my just out of shot here uh, on that laptop behind me I can't even remember I think it might be Debian but I'm going to put something else on it now um but yeah so what type of games uh, are we going to be talking about well uh, I will be playing all of my games on Linux. There may be a few games here and there that, that I may come across on a console or something that I feel may be worthy of discussion. But for the most part, it's going to be PC gaming and probably not so much in the way of AAA gaming. I'm going to be covering a lot of indie games. I'm certainly going to be covering some open source games. I feel that there are a great deal of open source gems out there that many people have not yet heard of. Uh, and then there will be, of course, some games that, uh, that are a little bit more well-known uh, that I will enjoy playing. Uh, also, I'll be talking a lot about industry news and also how the uh, industry technology develops. I'm a big fan of cloud gaming, things like Stadia and GeForce Now, uh, both uh, platforms that work remarkably well on Linux, but also on other systems as well. And I know that, of course, these platforms have not been universally uh, accepted or, or, you know, sort of appreciated. Uh, which is fine, but we can talk about that in, um, in you know, in more depth as the podcast goes on. Because I know, of course, there are always questions about things like game ownership. So we'll probably be talking a fair amount about DRM, physical media, digital media, um, what this means, and um, all of the sort of the the, the deeper stuff uh, inside that. So yeah, there's uh, there's a lot to talk about. Um, but yeah, so without further ado, let's uh, crack on with the show. I've got my show notes right here. Um, but actually, I'll tell you what, now's, now is a very exciting time uh, for the very first ad read on this show. So, all kind of terrible things can happen when you don't take care of your digital security, and that, of course, includes your passwords. The passwords used and trusted by the Destination Linux network is Bitwarden. Bitwarden lets you set up things like a PIN to easily access your password manager, as well as additional authentications such as master passwords and adding passphrases to fingerprint security, all to keep your passwords safe. Bitwarden is the easiest and safest way for individuals, teams and businesses to store, share and sync sensitive data. Go to bitwarden.com forward slash DLN to get started for free. To make things even better, Bitwarden is 100% open source. Uh, it, uh, you can self-host it, and they do security audits, which is all pretty neat. So bitwarden.com forward slash DLN, that's DLN, of course, for the Destination Linux Network, DLN. Get started for free. Uh, for the $10 a year premium, uh, that gets you one gigabyte of encrypted file storage, two-step login with the YubiKey, U2F and Duo, uh, Vault Health Reports, time-based one-time password authentication storage and generation, and priority customer support. So thank you very much, Bitwarden. You're very kind for supporting this episode of Gamesphere and basically for all around being a good egg to the Linux community. Thank you very much, Bitwarden. You help get this show on the road. So there we go. First first ad read. Um, but yeah, Bitwarden, thank you very much for um, for making all this possible. That's um, That's really quite nice. So anyway, what is the first item on the docket for today? Okay, 
All right. Here's the one. Here's one that I'm sure. Let's, let's start off with a bang. This is not the newest news in the world, but Stadia Director says streamers should pay game developers royalties. So I'm sure many of you folks, this is not new news. I'm sure many of you folks have heard this before. Uh, but Alex Hutchinson, okay, so I'm reading from here a metro.co.uk, which is a newspaper here in the UK, an article that covered it. Um, and they're referring to this this chap as a um, creative director at Google. But I think since this article has been written, uh, it turns out he sort of embellished a little bit his role at Google. And he's actually rather uh, sort of a member of one of the first party development studios that, that Google Stadia has uh, on their, um, you know, uh, in their ownership, I believe. So anyway, he fundamentally is making the argument uh, oh, actually, he says so in a tweet here, so I'll just read out the tweet uh, verbatim. The truth is that streamers should be paying the developers and publishers of the games they stream. They should be buying a license like any real business and paying for the content they use. If they think they don't need to pay for the game they are using, then they can make a show without games and see how that goes. So, um, this, of course, is a comment that has not been particularly well received by the gaming community. Um, and it, and it is kind of interesting. So as we all know, there are many, 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 many games that kind of became big as a result of streaming. The latest one at a time of recording is Among Us, a game that actually came out in 2018. Um, and it was around for quite some time. In fact, I believe they e were even planning a sequel and then suddenly, uh, streamers started streaming it and it had this massive resurgence in popularity. And as a result... Um, it, um, yeah, like it, as a result of streamers, as a result of the publicity it got from, from basically word of mouth, uh, the, it, it completely rejuvenated the game, uh, and, and it made the developers, I assume, a lot of money. Now the game itself is free on Android, but I think there are adverts. Uh, I of course play it on, um, on, on PC. Uh, it costs very little. It's like a couple of, you know, it's like it's less than a fiver, I believe. And, um. Yeah, like it's, uh, it's, it's it's actually a really good game. In fact, in fact, as a bit of a side note, uh, we played this on the latest uh, Destination Linux Network Game Fest, uh, which was uh, uh, which was, was was here in November, and it was amazing. It was absolutely fantastic. What I'll do is I'll put a link in the show notes to the live stream, uh, which was on the Destination Linux YouTube channel of the uh, of the event because it was amazing. And if you wish to participate in the next Destination Linux Game Fest, uh, you need to become a Patreon in Patreon for the Destination Linux Network. Uh, to I think you get to decide like you get to vote on or discuss which games uh, are going to be played at the next Game Fest, and then there are certain games within the Games Fest that only Patreons are uh, are able to to play. I think in the last Game Fest, the one that I'm talking about now, um, uh, non-patrons were invited to play Zoonotic and Super Tutscut, two amazing games, and then I think we played Among Us and something else. That just shows how bad my memory is. It had tanks in it, and they were they were games for patrons. So if you want to check that out, uh, yeah, go to uh, go to the Destination Linux Patreon, and I will of course link to that in the show notes that accompany this podcast. But uh, back on track. Um, but yeah, like among us, it's just an example of a game that basically made its its it it, it became big with streaming. But here's here's the kicker, right? This is a precedent, I believe, in some ways that sort of needs to be set and solidified. Like at the moment, it's only sort of 
acceptable as a norm because it typically benefits everyone involved for the most part. But just because it's mutually beneficial doesn't necessarily off the bat make it either legal or right because it could there are depending on the game there are many many games where um where where streaming can sort of replace sales where it can be in essence a form of kind of piracy kind of right so you know if you're if you're like running a pub or a restaurant or something and you want to play football games uh soccer games on the uh you know on the on the screens in the in the pub uh, you typically have to pay a license fee uh, because it is sort of understood that you're showing the game, that's bringing people in through the door, they'll buy, you know, the drinks and whatever in the pub and yada yada, everyone makes a buck, right? Wonderful. Uh, but in the case of streaming, it's almost in, in some ways like a little different because, yeah, streaming might bring people to a Twitch stream, the Twitch stream then might have a link to the game or it might encourage people to then buy the game as a result because it's kind of acting like free advertising. But then, there, of course, there are games like maybe your old telltale games or your or certain games that are incredibly plot centric which watching a live stream watching a youtube let's play can fundamentally take the role of the game like you you might not necessarily then buy a game if you've just seen all of the spoilers all of the plot points in a video so like i say this is something that doesn't necessarily have um to me a, a clear answer so i suppose you know, at this point, we're sort of treading new ground to work out where the boundaries are, who gets hurt, who gets the benefit from it, um, and, and sort of precedents, I, I think, are being set. Because whereas we can make a video game and streaming uh, comparable to uh, public, you know, display of, of, of a film or of a, of a sports event or something like that, um, it's also fair to sort of argue the counter that, um, that they're not the same. Um, some games, like, for example, Among Us, uh, that's that's a game that like you know if you're watching a stream of it is going like the 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 transformative properties of that stream are going to depend almost entirely on the the people playing it and how it's played and how it's presented whereas for example a telltale game or a you know a, a game that is incredibly narrative focused is um is going to be you know that 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 has less of an, you know, the, the transformative properties of that in a Twitch stream are going to be substantially less. So I suppose what would make this kind of simpler is if the, uh, whether or not a developer or studio is happy for their game to be streamed on Twitch would be, uh, would be mentioned or would be made clear on purchase of the game perhaps and whether or not the, when you buy, because well, like when you buy a game, right, you don't fundamentally buy a game to own it. You buy the rights to play the game uh, along with the binary files for that game. So uh, as part of that license, as part of those rights that you buy, you may or may not include the right to stream. I know that when I've um, been uh, given review copies of in indie games before, they do actually often explicitly say, you can stream this, you can do this with it, you can do that with it. And in fact, there are indie games that I believe do make that clear in one way or another that, yeah, please do stream this game. It does help us as a studio. And if you're a, a small indie studio, you're definitely going to get a benefit of of streaming, whereas maybe for a big, big like, you know, a Marvel-type enterprise, you know, if you're the next Marvel game, you're playing as the Hulk or Captain America or some big franchise like that, or a Disney game or a Star Wars game, Nintendo game, you know, where you've got big marketing firms behind it, 
maybe streaming might help less with that. I don't know. Maybe the ramifications are different. Are the ramifications different if you're streaming to like a thousand people versus streaming to a couple of mates, like four or five people? So uh, I guess these things are sort of being tread, but I don't kind of necessarily take the sort of the, the whole Twitter dunking on crowd approach of just like, oh, he's, he's talking nonsense. Oh, he's talking, you know, like, because, you know, there is something to be said and it doesn't always, you know, and it isn't always beneficial. In fact, here's another example. It's a bit of a side, it's a bit of an edge case, a bit, a bit of a niche case. Uh, but my friend, uh, Steve, he made a game, just a little indie game. He was giving it away for free, a little indie game. And then PewDiePie picked it up and PewDiePie gave his game a whole bunch of this like free publicity. But all it actually did for Steve's game is overrun his server because there were like millions of people just flocking out, downloading Steve's game. Steve didn't make a penny. He had to pay quite a lot of money to keep his servers up and running because all these people came and started downloading Steve's game. And poor old Steve, like he didn't make a penny off it because he was giving away his game for free. So also, of course, conversely, it might also be worth like mentioning that like when it comes to intellectual property and rights and all this kind of stuff, like maybe like someone shouldn't have advertising foisted upon them. Maybe having your game plastered everywhere is, is something that you don't necessarily want. Now, I don't know. That's just a, it was an interesting case, but it was one of those cases where it's like, yeah, like streaming someone else's game is, is kind of, I don't know. Interesting, interesting effect, you know? So uh, I guess we'll, we'll find out in due course. I guess we'll work out precedents and all that kind of thing, but well, such is life, isn't it? Okay, so I'm going to check my notes now and see what else uh, I've got going on. Okay, here's an interesting bit of news. Do you guys remember Driver? Uh, very, very old game. It kind of was like Grand Theft Auto. The earlier, so, you know, like remember Grand Theft, 3, uh, Grand Theft Auto 3 and that era of games where you were getting these open world uh, 3D driving games. Yeah, Driver was one of those. Driver 2 has a new reverse-engineered open-source game engine. So I read this on GamingOnLinux.com, wonderful website. Um, but yeah, there is, in development, a engine rewrite for Driver 2, MIT licensed, um, and using a little bit of uh, reverse engineering uh, similar to what you might expect out of OpenMW, that's the open source rewrite written engine for Morrowind, the open source rewritten uh, OpenRA, which is the open source rewritten engine for Red Alert, and OpenXCOM. Um, but yes, you do need to have the original game files in order to, to run it. But um, yeah, their current goals, it says here, it says that their current goals include to make the game playable from start to finish with all the modes working as intended eventually they want to rewrite it all to properly upgrade it with modern stuff you can get it running on linux and the lead developer has an op uh, has a github issue open indicating that they're looking for help sorting out automatic linux and mac os builds so that is pretty good and actually uh, i'm going to link that in with a second piece of interesting news because openmw the op the open source rewritten engine for Morrowind, one of my favorite games of all time. Also, thanks to this engine, there was a fork of it, and they actually developed multiplayer for Morrowind. Actually developed multiplayer for open source Morrowind. That's pretty amazing. Pretty dang amazing. Um, but yeah, and it, 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 was, it, was, it allows you to play Morrowind, of course, with, with, with Driver 2, but it, it allows you to play Morrowind not only natively on Linux, and of course, you do need the original game files for that, 
uh, but it actually improves the game a lot. Uh, it's designed so that it is mod compatible, so you can drop in your favorite mods, and they should, in theory, work on OpenMW. Open I've not had an issue with it, but they also add in things like distant landscapes, so that you don't have, you know, so so it expands the view distance out to see the world. That's amazing, right? Because in in Morrowind, right? Uh, for those of you that don't know, and I do recommend you go out and play that game. It goes on sale regularly. It's really not that expensive. It's available on all platforms. Um, and I, I do recommend playing using the OpenMW engine as well, right? But the um, but the beauty of Morrowind as a story is that it all the the main plotline takes place in the sort of metaphorical but also literal shadow of this volcano. And because the view distance is so short on the native game, you never really see that volcano until you approach it for the first time. And because the view distance is so shallow, it um, it you you can't take in the sort of the grandiosity of it all you can tell what they were going for when they when they buy the layout of the land and when they were designing it and it was technical limitations at the time that prevented them from truly recognizing this sort of like this this metaphor in in the level design itself but being able to see and play the entire game under the shadow of this amazingly large mountain always being there always watching it just it just adds this dimension of the game that is just amazing. Like I can't even describe it, uh, and it also adds all kinds of improvements as well. Uh, takes out a lot of bugs, but this new one is that they they're, they're bringing in third person view improvements. Um, and I'm looking at uh, a little animated GIF here, and I'm thinking this is this is just fantastic because the third person view in not only Morrowind but also oblivion as well one another one of my favorite games works amazingly through steam's proton and also through wine if you just want to download that on gog run it through wine works works perfectly fine there as well but yeah um so this one yeah the third person view has seen a lot of improvements with the over shoulder of the camera um and and uh being able to like better better strafing animations which is uh which is pretty amazing as well um so what else have we got here um now there's some shader fixes as well, um, working on grass handling more um, by making it supported to uh, for animated grass. So that's pretty cool, making the world feel a little bit more alive there. Um, there are performance when it comes to the sound, which is which is quite interesting. Um, so a lot of these things here um, uh, are, are largely like sort of just making a, a finer grained. Uh, user experience just making it just just a nicer game to play in a lot of the small ways because to be honest a lot of the heavy lifting of the game itself has been done like really well uh the lighting has definitely improved um the, the control like the sort of the just the whole general feeling of it like little things have been improved in this game like for example you can toggle crouch now in a game where you're where stealth can play an element if you choose it to um having a a, a toggle to crouch button is just it's 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 amazing uh, you there i believe it was actually rather difficult to do this as a mod on the original game because of how the scripting works with some of the deeper elements of the engine uh, but having an engine rewrite just has just allowed uh, all kinds of things the water actually looks really nice they, they've done a lot with the water in open mw but of course i will link to the uh, the press release on the open mw website to uh to let you folks uh, read it for yourself, uh, but also like uh, check out some of the previous ones. Check out what they've done uh, as well. But also uh, check out um, the multiplayer Morrowind as well. Um, me and my friend Drew sometimes play it, um, and it's just amazing because we are like diehard um, Morrowind fans 
from for for decades now and it is absolutely amazing to uh, to enjoy that game like as a multiplayer game it's janky as the dickens like it 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 it, you couldn't ever like sell it as an actual proper multiplayer game because it is clearly just botched together by community members who just love the game who just want to play it you know it requires a degree of actual general genuine rpg role playing into it and in fact the best way to approach the multiplayer version of of morrowind is is not to tre- treat it as a game with the rules that the game set but to treat it as a world in which to to have a, a party of of role you know like to, a role playing game where you actually like r- play roles uh, you know, and, and one of you, you know, you could choose your characters, you could choose your classes, and, and, and sort of, you sort of have to, like, make up your own story. But you've got the world, the characters, the combat system there for it. Fantastic. I can't, I can't tell you how, um, like, how much fun that, that me and Drew have, uh, have enjoyed it. But yeah, uh, Open Morrowind, uh, Open MW, rather, is a, uh, is a fantastic, fantastic uh, game. Uh, okay. So, uh, I think now is probably, if I'm not mistaken, a good time for the second ad read of the podcast. Oh, isn't this exciting? Right, let's get the ad read up. Uh, I think many of you uh, diehard Destination Linux Network fans will uh, already know what's about to come because they are good friends. The next sponsor is good friends of the uh, Destination Linux Network. It is, of course, DigitalOcean. Who doesn't love DigitalOcean? DigitalOcean's great. Okay, so this episode of GameSphere... Okay, I'll start that one again. This episode of GameSphere is brought to you by DigitalOcean. DigitalOcean recently announced their new app platform service, which is a solution to build modern cloud-native apps. With the app platform, you can build, deploy, and scale apps and static websites quickly and easily. Uh, simply point your GitHub repository and let the app platform do all the heavy lifting. It has support for Node.js, Python, Go, PHP, Ruby, static sites, and Docker. I love me some stac- static sites myself. That's what my website d- uh, does. It's very simple. Got to keep it simple. Simple is the best, in my opinion. But you know, you can you can you can just you can build a as we say in Morrowind like a Tolveni tower of stuff if you wanted to on digital DigitalOcean can handle it it's great anyway <laughs> DigitalOcean runs their app platform on their own infrastructure so your costs are significantly lower than with other products plus they build this new app platform on top of DigitalOcean Kubernetes providing a smoother migration path so you can take more control of your infrastructure setup as a, less, uh, as a listener of the Destination Linux podcast and a member of the DLN community, you can get started for free. Uh, better than free because DigitalOcean has given you $100 of credit when you do uh, do.co slash DLN. Link, of course, will be in the show notes. Uh, so yeah, uh, do.co slash DLN to get started with your $100 free credit on DigitalOcean's new app platform. Uh, but yeah, thank you, DigitalOcean. You've always been a good friend to the Destination Linux network. Um, and, and thank you once again. Destination Linux, of course, uh, just a bit of a personal thought here is the servers that we use to run, you know, the Game Fest stuff on. They're really good. They're reliable. They've never had any problem as far as I can see. I remember uh, playing Mind Test on a DLN, not a DLN, sorry, a DigitalOcean uh, droplet, and it worked fantastically well. Um, so yeah, like if that's to me, like, you know, if if 
if you want to to make the best use of DigitalOcean within the uh, you know context of, of video games. They're great for like uh, you know we had a Zonotic server, uh, we had um, Super Tux Cart or Super Tux Cart multiplayer. Get yourself a DigitalOcean droplet, run a, a, a Super Tux Cart server on that. Get like wow, like as many mates as you can. Friggin' amazing. It's something else. It's just in fact, do you, you know what? Go and check out that that Destination Linux Game Fest. Uh, live stream you'll find the uh, the super touch cart uh video you know section on there that's amazing i can't tell you how much how much fun i had on that and there's a nautic game as well but yeah like um it's it's really good for for that kind of stuff uh because you can just spin up a a, a server you don't even have to keep it running you can just put it in the freezer and um not literally of course but yeah you can you know and just spin it up when you need when you when you and your uh, your chums want to have a bit of a shoot around and it, it's great yeah so you can do a lot with DigitalOcean um, and they've always been kind to uh, the Destination Linux Network and thank you for making this show possible so there we go all right let's check let's check the old notes uh, and what have we got today oh a game we have yeah let's talk about a game okay open source game right so I'm going to try and include an open source game been a few open source games already but um i'm gonna try and include like a review of an open source game in every episode if i can because there are a lot of open source games out there and many of them are phenomenal sometimes uh open source games uh you know they, they are like they're, they're kind of different to 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 uh proprietary games in in a number of ways but in terms of the, like their spirit in terms of like why they're there is to me makes a very meaningful difference like so many games that you'll buy not all, but many games you'll buy, their entire purpose for existence is to make money for their studios, for the de their developers. They're to make sales, right? Most games are made within the purview of a business model. And that's fine. I mean, we've got some wonderful AAA games out there, some wonderful, you know, and not quite AAA games, but like also quite big games. I'm a big fan of the Hitman franchise. I've been having a lot of fun with Deus Ex as well. So there's a lot of good games out there. But if you want a like a humbler experience that where a community can come to, can come together and develop something for themselves um, that doesn't necessarily it doesn't matter if it makes a profit it doesn't necessarily matter if it appeals to millions upon millions of people that just a community come together and ju they just make something that they want to play and just enjoy it I think there's something truly wholesome in that I think there's something truly valuable in that um, and I, and I think there's something more meaningful in that than there is from like Warner Brothers making a shed load of cash from selling a game. That's just that's just my my thoughts on it. But today's game actually is is not necessarily a community built game, but rather one built by uh, I believe a sole developer. It's called Shapes. Now you can try out the game for free through the browser by going to shapes.io. Now that's s h a p e z dot i o. So it's you know it's pronounced the same. It's recently had a uh, big update uh, where they improve, uh, where they actually bring in a, uh, some new game mechanics post level 11. Uh, and it will take you a while to get up to a level 11. Um, but essentially what Shapes is, is it's like a factory sim. And it says, they say themselves that it is developed uh, like it is inspired by the likes of Factorio. So if you like Factorio, you will probably like Shapes. 
um, you design a f you you are designing a factory, and each level so each level means that you have to make a different type of shape. So, uh, like level one might be that you just have to make a circle. Level two might be that you have to make a blue circle. Um, and then level three might be you have to make a blue circle and then splice it with a red square. And then these shapes get more and more complicated as you go along. But the learning curve is very smooth, very easy just wonderfully you know like it the, the gradient of difficulty ramps up very very slightly you all you always know what you've got to do and it's one of those games where it, it's quite chill so you never f there isn't really a failure state um you you just have to um you just ha you just have to keep you know m keep moving basically you can take as long as you want to solve any of the given levels uh you can do them in any number of ways that you design like you can you can you can approach them differently uh, you can design your factory with different priorities different structures different layouts and that's what i really love about games that's to me what makes a good game is that there isn't just one way of solving a problem but you actually get to express some creativity in how problems are solved that to me is quite that, that to me adds a lot of depth to a game um so how you build your factory what you optimize how you optimize it uh, you can use like various like you store this shape over here until you need it over here and all this kind of stuff like it, it it's it's truly wonderful another thing about this game that i absolutely wonderfully love is the soundtrack now the soundtrack itself is available on bandcamp which is absolutely amazing and i did buy the soundtrack on bandcamp as well bandcamp is, is amazing for, for music in my humble opinion but um yeah it's it's great game music it suits the game so much and the the aesthetics of it, I really like the aesthetics of it. Now it's a very base, you know, like the graphics in it are very basic, but they're also very clear, very clear, so that you always know what's going on. Although, admittedly, if if you're anything like me, your factories are going to get a little bit sprawling, a little bit out of control. And the real challenge of the game is to keep this ever expanding, ever growing factory line uh, consistent and logical, and how it makes sense, because you can so easily get lost in a machine of your own design. That's amazing. That is absolutely amazing. Um, I can't sing this praises enough. I've played. Um, I've mentioned this game in the you know amongst the various social medias that I'm on, and uh, I, I know that other people have picked it up on my recommendation, and as a result, they have got you know really into this game as well. Uh, it's a great game. I think you know, like uh, I'm no expert on 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 the. Um, uh, but but uh, you know uh, on the on the subject, but I think this game is c can be quite good um, for for like you know younger people as well. Like it's certainly a family friendly game in that regard, but it's really good at like train you know like it's good like mental exercise there as well. And I think that could be uh, in many ways sort of quite uh, quite worthwhile. It certainly gives my brain uh, quite the workout, which which I really like. Uh, it looks good. It's sa the thing is as well, it's satisfying when you put together like a really efficient factory machine. And you're just seeing it do all the stuff and it's not getting clogged up and all that kind of stuff. Like, that's that's really rewarding. I can't, you know, that is that is excellent. Chef's kiss. So for this the final segment of, of this week's game sphere, I want to do a segment which Michael has 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 named. Because uh, partly the reason I'm I'm slotting this in here is because of the name. Uh, but also because uh, I, I quite like older games. Uh, to me, there's a golden age of video games that ranges from the late 90s to around 2010. Um, and I still think that a lot of games from that genre uh, 
work very well. Uh, sometimes they're buggy and have since been patched to make them less buggy. Um, but sometimes, like the, the like the game design in and of themselves, I feel is in that nice sweet spot between uh, not being like overly complicated or complex or novel, uh, while at the same time sort of being more complex and novel than the games preceding it. So you know, like you've got that 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 sort of golden age of of gaming there and i think a lot of that is probably if i'm completely honest rooted in nostalgia but this week's episode of gamesphere the the segment what i'm doing is called polygon but not forgotten and for this segment i'd like to talk about hitman codename 47 hitman codename 47 is a wonderful um really old game where you play as a an assassin uh it was released in 2000 it was very much the first game of its type where you would be placed inside a level you would have a target to kill or targets and you would have, in most cases, like several ways that you could approach it. You could approach it in a gun ho fashion, go in there, guns blaze and take out everyone. You could go in as a sniper. You could uh, don a disguise and then sort of sneak in, pretending to be a guard or something. And whilst on replaying of the game uh, recently, it definitely does show its age. And it, sh- it shows its age mostly in the control system, right? And just to give you a bit of a bit of an example, you, you will have to reset the controls, right? I think the default controls have have the numpad as 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 the, as the way to control. That, I mean, that's a bit mad at the best of times. Uh, there is a WSAND style uh, preset, but you're gonna wanna you're gonna wanna configure some things for modern sensibilities. But just to just to give you an example of how bad the controls really are. You have you can have W as run, and S as walk, and X as go backwards. A and D uh, either strafing or turning left and right. Like I think the default is A and D turn left and right. Oh boy! Like I say, with defaults like that, you're gonna wanna you're gonna wanna have to adapt them to to more modern sensibilities. Absolutely. But once you've got through that headache, um, this game actually really does retain its charm. Now I will. There's a level. Uh, based in Istanbul called Traditions of the Trade. That's like the last good level of this game, right? Beyond that game, it does fall apart because it, it kind of feels like like uh, what, what a lot of games suffered from uh, during the time where they had a very ambitious idea for a game. They made it and they got up to a certain point and then they had to rush development of the, the final stages of the game to, to get out on a deadline. You see this happen. I mean, the worst example is Vampire the Masquerade Bloodlines. I won't go too much into that because that game has a fascinating history that I will talk about, no doubt, in another video involving, of course, the introduction of the Source Engine to the world and the madness that goes around that. But yes, um, it's, it's, you know it could very well have been the case that there was a deadline set, they're approaching the deadline, and the game falls back to a lot more tropes of the day uh, it became a lot more shall we say violent centric you know a lot more like kill a room full of people rather than previous levels where it was like he's the bad guy there's one guy over there he's the the the, the gang leader and and the bad man 
you've got to go in you've got to infiltrate sneak past people uh talk to people get people on your side you know and and, and like be a bit of a spy it, it does kind of have a little bit of a james bond feel to it um and there are many points within the hitman franchise where 47 sort of emulates a little bit of james bond um if you are interested in the franchise, I recommend playing the newer games first. And in fact, the recent franchise of Hitman, is, uh, they call it the World of Assassination, which is the three recent games, the uh, Hitman, Hitman 2, and then the one that's about to come out early next year. They're available on Stadia. You can play them on NVIDIA's GeForce Now, so you don't necessarily need a fast computer to run it if your internet connection's all right. Um, but also, like you can just buy them on Steam. I think they're available in the Epic Store. Um, there is a there is a uh, limit. What you call it? A uh, timed exclusive. That's the term uh, for the the newest game in the franchise because the Epic Store basically, uh, yeah, they they're getting the game a year ahead of Steam. But like I say, you can play it on. I think you can get it on Stadia uh, on on release day because technically Stadia counts as a console, not a PC. But that aside, uh, but going back and watching, uh, not watching this, going back and playing this. Uh, yeah, like, and I only played up to Traditions of the Trade. Like, to me, this game, in terms of memory, in terms of nostalgia, it goes up to that final, you know, to me, Traditions of the Trade is the final level of Hitman Codename 47. Keeps it as a nice, short game. You could probably play it in an afternoon uh, if you know the if you know the game. Like, if you don't know the game, if you're new to the game, you're discovering it, working out the layouts of the level, working out what you're allowed to do, what you can get away with, that takes a lot of time. I remember spending days upon days upon days of working out certain levels in my uh, in my youth. But now I can yeah polish it off in an afternoon. Um, also, I think on the later stages of the game, the levels get quite big. I mean, they do. So there is a level in Colombia, which is again like some of the levels are just big for the sake of being big, and they're not. There's not much inside them. Um, that happens with a couple of the earlier Hitman games, but to be honest, you can get over that. Some of the games are actually quite compacted, and as a result, uh, are quite fun in that regard. So yeah, with with the earlier Hitman games, the qu the quality of your gaming experience is going to be quite contingent on uh, which level that in particular that you're playing. There are a lot of things wrong with the Codename 47. Sometimes the controls, it can be quite buggy, but this is an example of a game where which plays better on Linux than it does on Windows. And with the earlier Hitman games, and with a lot of games in this in this golden age of gaming, I find play much better being um, played through like Proton or Wine than they do on, on Windows. Apparently the second game in the Hitman franchise, uh, you need to do all kinds of backward somersaults and whatever to get it running through uh, getting running on Windows. So I play it on Linux. In in many ways, you know, Linux in this particular instance is my preference for gaming because it plays the games that I want to play better than any other operating system. Now that's obviously not the typical case for you know, you know like that that that's of my case is obviously an exception to the norm. But um, there are uh, several instances where where Linux does actually operate better as a gaming platform than uh, than Windows. Um, which is which is you know it hasn't always hasn't always the technology the gaming technology on Linux has definitely jumped leaps and bounds uh, since uh, in in the past few years but yeah so going back to Codename Forty Seven the plot makes no sense whatsoever and I think like this is the reason the two Hitman films have failed colossally 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 terribly they failed miserably um, it's because 
like 47 is a little bit the main character the assassin as it were is a little bit like gordon freeman insofar that he's not really designed to be an interesting or he's not like an interesting character i don't think he's supposed to be an interesting character what's interesting about the games is the world in which he operates all these interesting people that he's going to assassinate and what they're trying to do and why they you know why why they're a danger to the world or why they're a danger to the person hiring 47 and all of this like all of the the politics and scheming of the um you know of these shadowy figures that's what makes the 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 world of hitman interesting um and especially with the uh, with the films where you're learning more and more about 40 the more you learn about 47 the less it you know like the 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 worse it gets because he's supposed to be a little bit like that blank slate gordon freeman kind of character you know he's he's just a one note song He's an assassin. He's a cold-blooded killer. Doesn't care whatever reason. He just he just he kills like it's a job. You know, like some people they're just working to check out at Walmart. Beep beep beep. Forty sevens like he's he did the same thing. He might get paid a bit more, but like yeah, like you know he, he to him this is just a job. This is just another day in his life. Um, and uh, and yeah, like you know there there is plot points behind it. There's a plot in this game that sort of talks a little bit to his origin, but in the future games, his backstory matters less and less and less. Uh, and as a result, 47, you know, like, yeah, like 47 is not an interesting character. He's not an interesting person. Um, and the game is at its strongest when it focuses on other people. Uh, and they do, and particularly in the traditions of this trade in Istanbul, uh, there is a wonderful uh, example of telling a story through the level design itself, right? So basically, you're 47. You have to kill two targets who are terrorists, and you have to retrieve a chemical bomb. Now, the reason for this is that there is a summit of world leaders being held in that hotel in the, you know, in the near future to when the level is set, and you have to stop that terrorist attack from happening. Now, you have no, you don't have no, you have no interest in the terrorist attack or anything to do, or any of the politics involved in that, that you're, you know, you're doing a job for someone else. Someone else wants to stop that terrorist attack. So you're not the good guy in this equation. You're just the, the guy that shows up, does the, you're the henchman. And, um... You can see through the little set pieces, like all the way how they how they you know arrange all the you know, the flags and the, arrange the tables and how uh, parts of the hotel are cordoned off uh, because you know for security reasons and and you know why there's metal detectors around and all this kind of stuff in a hotel and it you know it tells this story of what's about to happen through the level design itself without actually you know giving too much away. It's the it's the classic show don't tell phenomena. And it does this in many cases really, really well, especially throughout the franchise. But this is as an introduction to the franchise. Many people consider it the worst game. I think I probably do consider it the worst game of the franchise. But it still has that charm. It still has that, you know, and part of it's nostalgia and part of it's just like, this is an example. This is a, uh, this is a, a snapshot in time of, of how games were developed and how games were seen and how games were a media or a medium to experiment and to try new things. And to be honest, nowadays with a lot of modern games, you know, sometimes you get that in the indie scene, but in a lot of cases you do just get reiterations of existing ideas. And I suppose in many ways, you know, like I do feel that games during this era in between the late nineties and 2010, they were a bit more adventurous. Um, Nowadays, I feel that sort of ideas just sort of come slowly and, and, and there's a little change here and then it gets developed and then it gets developed, then it gets developed. Whereas I think 
back in uh, back in the the mid two thousands, for example, there were all kinds of interesting stuff uh, or interesting things being tried, and I think they were by and large received quite well. But the more and more mainstream gaming becomes, the more and more money uh, gets thrown into it, the more and more it's going to become like the movie industry. And 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 as I'm sure many folks will agree with me, modern you know like movies today, especially ones funded by the big studios, they're pretty unadventurous. They're pretty like formulaic. Uh, most seem to be sequels nowadays, and and in a lot of cases, that's simply down to the fact that the the money has has sort of taken over a little bit, and uh, and the big studios have taken over with playing, you know, very making very safe choices, and uh, you know, I mean, it's not all bad, some, but in in, in many ways, uh, it does feel that games of this era just were a little bit, you know, they were a little bit more adventurous and and. Um, and sometimes that did mean falling flat on your face in certain, certain circumstances, and sometimes it didn't. But anyway, I think that's um, that's all I've got to say on, on Codename 47. Would I recommend you folks at home try it out? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, maybe, maybe not. I don't know. If you feel, if you feel like it's 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 uh, maybe maybe I don't know. If you're, it's not going to be the smoothest, cleanest, nicest experience you'll ever have with gaming, but it is kind of it's interesting. I don't know. I consider it a little bit of gaming history, quite frankly. Um, but anyway, so I think this is a good opportunity to wrap up the very first episode of Gamesphere. How about that? That's uh, that's quite. So thank you, folks, for joining me. Um, now there is a segment that I want to include in future episodes, which for obvious reasons I can't today, and that's a feedback episode. So uh, included in the show notes for this episode will be an email address um and i'll put some uh, social media links uh, as well um if you want to go to my personal website chrisware.uk you can um you can find out where you know all, all the social medias uh that i am and uh, also uh there is uh, i think it's gamesphere.show oh crikey yes gamesphere.show that's where all the episodes and stuff i remembered that i didn't just really quickly type it at my computer <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah you can go to gamesphere.show there'll be all the episodes there um there'll be all the notes and all that kind of stuff um there'll be the rss feed um this can be found on i believe apple podcasts amazon music and spotify um but yeah you know and 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 write in share your thoughts share any recommendations you have uh, I certainly don't want this to be the kind of podcast where I just ball opinions at you for for forty minutes. I, I you know, this is a dialogue, and I'm always open to uh, having my mind changed on on issues around gaming because, you know, I'm but one person, and this is a a very subjective medium. So uh, yes, please do feel free to to let me know all of your hot and spicy takes, um, and then I'll do a segment. Yeah, I'll do it like a, a listener feedback seg- listener feedback segment, which I'm sure you folks. Uh, would quite enjoy so um but yeah check out gamesphere.show there'll be all the bits and pieces and stuff and show notes and stuff and things and things and stuff on there um but i think this is time to 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 leave you now Uh, for those of you that know who watch my live streams uh, and those that even watch my videos across on youtube will know that it takes me a while to wrap up a video i ramble on and witter on about how nice it is that you folks have joined me so i'm going to try and snap, wrap it up really quickly but i've got that feeling at the back of my mind there's something that i want to say that i should be saying 
Uh, but check out the Destination Linux. And I want to thank um, particularly Michael and Ryan for making me feel such a, you know, for giving me such a warm welcome. And the rest of the, the Destination Linux network as well who uh, joined me on the, uh, or who I joined rather, on the, the um destination linux game fest it was an absolute blast so um like i said i'll put the link to uh the live stream on the destination linux network channel uh, you can probably look it up yourself of course on youtube if you're so inclined as well um and uh, yeah we had a lot of fun but yeah thank you for everyone at the the network for making me feel so welcome and for all of your guidance and help and stuff and uh thank you all for listening so that's about it from me today uh, I haven't worked out an outro for this because I usually I just use my I've been Chris Ware and you've been awesome for those of you that know me that all that's my usual outro um, I'll have to work this one out it'd be like um, thank you for joining me I've been Chris Ware and you've been listening to the Game Sphere this is the Game Sphere the Game Sphere I'll just the, the Game Sphere Game Sphere goodbye <laughs> alright now I'm just saying Game Sphere so I'll, I'll take my leave but thank you folks very much for joining me it's a pleasure as always and until next time I've been Chris Ware and you've been listening to the Game Sphere toodaloo